I am Trent Reinsmith, and this is a, another edition of Daily Kimono MMA Podcast. I want to start off with some health and safety information from the uh, from the get-go here. So, Ra, Ro, Ro, Rolling Pavia, butchered that name, I am 100% sure, uh, lost uh, his fight on, on Saturday. Uh, because of weight cutting, and here's what he had to say. He was hosp- he was hospitalized, by the way. I was cutting weight yesterday, and I was fine. I was really fine, and I remember leaving the sauna to do some towels, and then I had a strong headache and pain in the chest, and then I don't remember anything anymore. I only remember waking up at the hospital. My mind wanted to, parenthetically, to cut the weight, but my body didn't. The doctor said I had low blood pressure and was dehydrated. That's why I was passing out and wouldn't wake back up. But thank God I was cleared from the hospital at midnight and I'm feeling well now. So let me just reiterate the uh, the part that I want to stress of this conversation, which this person obviously passed out, was hospitalized, woke up in the hospital cutting weight. The doctor said I had low blood pressure and was dehydrated. That's why I was passing out and wouldn't wake back up. Passing out and wouldn't wake back up. Fairly serious? I would think so. And then he continued, let's see if the UFC will still let me fight at 125. Why? Why Why would this even be a consideration? When you pass out and, and don't wake up for a fairly long time, that's a worry. That's a big worry. And the UFC, and I've said this many times, the UFC says that they can't do anything about weight cutting. They absolutely can but we become accustomed to this, and this story didn't go past the day before the fight. It didn't go past weigh-in day. No one made a big deal about it. It just kind of got mentioned and then brushed away. It was just another fighter missing weight, but it wasn't a fighter missing weight. It was a fighter being hospitalized because they were, quote, passing out and wouldn't wake back up. That's serious, and it shows the UFC doesn't take weight cutting seriously they they gloss over it because well they're independent contractors and they know what they need to do but that's bullshit and we all know it's bullshit we also know the UFC can do something about weight cutting if it wants to it doesn't want to it doesn't want to do that because it would probably have to make the fighters employees and I've said this many times and I'll keep saying it because I might be the only one that's covering this every time it happens you know, if you say that you're health and safety first, which Dana White has said more than once, then you need to be health and safety first. That shouldn't be empty words. You know, if 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 you work in a warehouse or a factory, and OSHA's there every day handing out safety fines, then you're not health and safety first. You can pay lip service to that all you want, but. You're not doing anything about it. And that's what the UFC is doing here. They're not health and safety first. And anything else is just a lie. There was a fight canceled um, on fight day, I believe. Demir Adzovic and Yancy Medeiros was canceled. And the reason was health reasons. Didn't go, didn't go past health reasons. And that's a concern. And I know... No one is, you know, required to to release this information, and 
if the fighter doesn't want it released or it could be a violation of HIPAA laws, you know, right to privacy and whatnot. But the health reasons for fight cancellation is worrying. Is it COVID-19? Is it weight cutting? Is something not being told here? Is it more serious than, you know, did, did, did somebody get food poisoning? Is it something that simple? We don't know. We don't know, and I don't think we will know, and that's concerning to me because we have fighters fighting really close to when they test positive for COVID-19. We have fighters falling out of fights, waking up in the hospital after weight cuts. These are big concerns, and so I would hope that the UFC and the fighters would want to reveal a little more, you know, to to make the sport and the fight fights are safer. And if it's preparation, things that made these fighters fall ill, this fighter fall ill, well, make the fights safer. Make the weight cutting safer. Make the health protocols safer. Don't just throw out health reasons. It's a, it's, it's a cop-out, and it's, it's avoiding issues. And speaking of avoiding issues, this one, um, this one bothers me. This one bothers me a lot, and it's more than the person that has COVID-19 that's getting screwed here. So Amanda Hibas tested positive for COVID-19, um, and now her fight for June 5th against Angela Hill is off. Now, here's where it gets weird, dicey, whatever you want to call it. Here's where it gets kind of, kind of curious. So this is a rescheduled fight. So he was tested positive on 5-8, which was fight day. When this fight was originally scheduled, it was originally scheduled for 5-8. And she tested positive on fight day. But in an interview that she did, she said she had been feeling sick earlier in the week. And she just thought it was the air conditioning. And, and so went with that. So my assumption is that if she was feeling sick, maybe the UFC tested her. Well, they should have tested her before fight day. But she wasn't pulled until Friday. I think she said she was starting to feel sick Wednesday. So the UFC tested her. If they tested her Wednesday, they should have got the result back earlier. But why wasn't she pulled until fight day? That's a question the UFC should answer, should be required to answer. They won't, at least not for me. They won't even acknowledge the questions I ask. And some people say, well, that's because I'm not important. I would say that's because I'm asking questions they don't want to answer. But you can have your own opinion on that. But that should be answered as to why, if she tested positive before fight day, was she only pulled off on fight day? Was it, were the UFC waiting for a potentially negative test to come back? I don't know. It's not out of the realm of possibility, and that's why they should you know, own up to what's going on here. But what bothers me here, the first thing that bothers me about this is that during that interview where she was on on May May 8th when she was pulled from that fight she said that she, this was the actually second time she had contracted COVID-19 but I can't find any documentation or any mention of her first bout with the with the illness anywhere which again makes me believe that it was not reported to the media uh, or to her fellow fighters was that her fault or was that the UFC's fault I don't know. Again, questions that either he boss or 
the UFC has to answer. But if it's their second test positive for second bout with the COVID-19, that's a concern. So what does the UFC do? They turn around after the eighth, knowing that her she had tested, she had COVID-19 earlier. And then she tested positive for a second case on the 8th. Then they book her for June 5th. Why was she booked so close? Why was she booked so close knowing that this was her, her second go-round with COVID-19? But it, she was booked, and now that fight's off. And now, what what's, what, what's, what's Angela Hill left to do? Does she get another opponent? There's, there's time to do so, but what if she can't? Now she has lost two fights, so Hill should definitely be paid if she can't get another replacement opponent, or if she doesn't want a replacement opponent, she should still be paid because the UFC was not, they did not do the right thing by booking this fight so close without having a negative test. The, the uh, Hebus had tested positive, and then they went and just rebooked it. Why, why not wait until a negative test comes through? It makes zero sense. And again, it goes back to the health and safety first bullshit. It's not health and safety first. It's booking a fight and getting a, a fight on the on the schedule first. That's all that matters is here's the date. Who can we slot into that date? Amanda Hebus tested positive. She should be good to go in June. Well, now she's not. And was she still training to get ready for this fight in June? Because it's, you know, it was a, little, a couple weeks away. So she was probably still training while she had COVID. Again, something that he was and the UFC would have to answer for. There's a lot of moving parts here. None of this is a positive. That the fight was pulled is a positive. Yeah, but it was pulled. It should have never been booked for June. But it was, and now Angela Hill's getting the shaft. Hebus is, uh, we don't know how sick she is, and we don't know when, she, when her first bout with COVID was. And it's a hot mess. It's a hot mess over there at the UFC with this with this case, um, particularly. Maybe we'll get answers. I doubt we'll get answers. But uh, at this point, I think Angela Hill should be paid, and Heba should be kept out of a booking until she is, you know, tested negative for at least a couple times, just in case. But this was a dumb move. But it's the move the UFC has been making over and over and over again during during the pandemic. And I don't know why it keeps doing it. But what it, it points to me is they're not taking COVID-19 serious. They still aren't. And that comes from the top. That comes from Dana White. So all this safety stuff I mentioned here, the weight cuts, the COVID-19, the not reporting why someone's out the not reporting a positive COVID-19 test, it just, again, brings home the point that health and safety first are not the priorities of the UFC. It's all lip service. And sooner or later, it's going to bite the UFC in the ass really hard. And they'll have no one to blame but themselves. Uh, Sal D'Amato, I would like to give him a little praise here. He was questioned about his scorecard for the Charles Oliveira, Michael Chandler. I think it was round one. He gave it 10-8 to Chandler. Um, the reason he cited was that Chandler almost finished Oliveira. Uh, and the point in the round where he thought that Chandler almost finished Oliveira was when 
uh, Oliveira was kind of reaching for uh, Chandler's legs, but the whole time he was doing that, he was taking punches from Chandler, who was standing, and Oliveira was on his knees. Um, so Chandler was punching him in the head. Oliveira's trying to stay busy, trying to stay active enough to, to avoid the stoppage. And then he eventually goes to his back, which creates a break in the action, allows him to recover. At the time I was watching the fight, I wasn't scoring it, and I was working, so take that for what it's worth. But I thought that it was pretty close to being finished. And I think if I think if Oliveira would not have went to his back, I think the fight would have got waved off. Um, that's just my opinion. But it was looking bad. It was looking real bad. And I think and that's why the Amato said that he gave that round 10-8 to Chandler. Is it right? I don't know. I didn't watch the whole round um, in a way that would allow me to score the whole round. I just remember that piece of the action and thinking, this is close to getting finished. So I'm, I agree with D'Amato there. Um, then he said in the interview, and I think this was with MMA Junkie, or at least that's where it was, yeah, MMA Junkie Radio. Um, he read the criteria for a 10-8 round. That criteria, if you read it, does call for that round. You could score it a 10-8. Now I see the argument for 10-9, but that night I scored a 10-8. And one of the reasons why is the criteria. It states what is a 10-8. So Damato read what a 10-8 is, and this is how it is written in the uh, in the unified rules. It does not require a fighter to dominate their opponent for five minutes of a round. A 10-8 score should be awarded if one fighter has dominated the action of the round had duration of the domination also impacted their opponent with their either effective strikes or effective grappling maneuvers that have diminished the abilities of their opponent. A 10-8 score should be considered if a fighter impacts their opponent significantly in a round even though they do not dominate the action. And so that's why D'Amato scored it. By the way it's written, from what he saw, it's justified I think. Uh, because we don't know what angle he had, that's why we have three judges. And they, and they rotate, I believe, during the during action. So they all have different angles. I don't know what angle the model had. I don't know if there was something, you know, in his way where he couldn't see clearly or if he had a clear view of the action. I don't know. But I know that by the what's written here, he saw a 10-8. And he explained it, which, good for him. Good on him for doing that and sticking to it. So that's what he saw. Now, if he watches it again, he said he might have scored it differently, but in the moment, you score what you score because hindsight, you can't you can't go back and rewatch and score a fight because that's not how it works. Because there's no pressure then; the pressure is all on the at the moment, and pressure can affect how a fight scored, and maybe that's what happened as well. I don't know, but by how this reads. I think D'Amato was justified in how he scored it. Now, the funny thing about this is he read the criteria in the story. It's written in the story, and D'Amato went over it on the radio show. And one of the first comments I saw when I looked at the story is, this is how the comment, this is a quote, a 10-8 round should be complete domination. This is just a commenter. I mean, getting dropped multiple times and barely surviving. The perfect example that comes to mind is when Frankie Edgar fought Greg Maynard. Maynard had dropped Frankie multiple times in one round and was piling punches on him and just stayed on Frankie the whole round. 
Same with Shane Carlin when he fought Brock Lesnar and had Lesnar severely hurt in that round. Those are the definition of a 10-8 round to me. And at the time, those were the definition of a 10-8 round. The rule changed. And, that, and now it's different. It's different because there was too wide of a gap between a 10-9 and a 10-8 before. Now there's still a fairly wide gap in a 10-8 and a 10-9, but that window has closed significantly with these new rules. So the commenter is right in that during the time that those fights took place, they were 10-8 rounds. That's not the case anymore. Those might have been 10-7 rounds now. They might be 10-8, but they might have been 10-7. It was a different time. I don't know if everyone understands that. Obviously, everyone doesn't understand it because I, when I read more comments, there was other comments that said that they didn't know that the rules, what the rules were or that the rules had changed. That's concerning. And it's concerning because people will mouth off about these things without understanding what they're talking about. And so what I would say is before every fight, before every fight card, even during a break in the fight card, or if you're concerned about maybe you're missing the scoring criteria, go to Sean Sheehan's Twitter account, which is at Sean Sheehan, B-A-S-E-A-N-S-H-E-E-H-A-N-B-A. And his pinned tweet is an explanation of the scoring criteria. He'll go over it, and that will be there, because... Sean is a stickler for scoring. He's the guy. He's the guy that's doing the heavy lifting on the scoring in the media, and he'll uh, he's the guy to go to, I think, for that. So if you're confused about the scoring, the current scoring, check Sean out and you know, listen to his podcast, follow him, and he discusses the different scoring on different fights if there's controversy on that podcast. But if you just want to check on how the rules are, what the rules are currently for the scoring criteria, please go to his uh, Twitter, check out his pinned tweet, and follow him. Um, I'm going to finish up on Josh Fabia. Josh Fabia gave an interview, I forget who it was for, but it was uh, a hot mess of an interview. He made himself like seem like Diego uh, Sanchez was taking advantage of him, and it was all just BS. It was, it, I said that, no one in the media should talk to him if they're just talking to him to get a straight interview. Um, if you're going to talk to him and interview him and push back, absolutely do that because he's just spreading all this BS. There's, you know, he might believe that these things are true, from what, but from what I see and what all the evidence points to him kind of manipulating Sanchez. That's my opinion. And it seems to be opinion of a lot of people right now. So Ch Sanchez has cut ties with him. Uh, Fabius is making himself seem like a victim in this point. And I don't want to read his manipula manipulations or hear from him again unless someone's pushing back on him. If you're not pushing back, you're doing it for clicks. And in a case like this, that's dangerous. If this was just, you know, funny ha-ha and we're going to make fun of this because it's just crazy making, fine. But it's much more than that. It's affected uh, Diego Sanchez. It, it more or less got him released from the UFC. You can read that if you want. Bloody Elbow did a pretty good uh, summation of it. But the part that bothers me the most here is that I think he's kind of saying here that the Nevada State Athletic Commission tried to, well, he is saying here, they came in and leaned on him and here's what he said so this moment happens where the Nevada State Athletic Commission comes in and leans on Diego and he has to throw an effing fight 
Now I have them recorded. First of all, you can't record somebody in Nevada without their without their uh, consent or, or well, you have to tell them you're recording them. So if he did this and didn't tell the Nevada State Athletic Commission, if he did this, I should stress, and didn't tell them, that's a, I looked it up on, the, I think, in Nevada, a legal website there, and it's a felony to record someone without their knowledge in Nevada. So if you're doing interviews, make sure you tell the people you're recording them in Nevada. But if he didn't do that, it's a felony, and if... I would expect the State Athletic Commission might push back on this if they were recorded without their knowledge. Again, if. I don't know if these tapes exist. And here's what he said about this alleged recording. You go watch the fight, and it's the only fight in Diego Sanchez's history that he never threw a punch. The way that they did it is in the lean, which is in the talking to somebody and dangling their license and explaining, are you really trying to hurt this man? You're not going to hurt him, are you, Diego? You're a sportsman, Diego. You always have been a good guy, Diego. You're not going to do anything with malicious intent, are you, Diego? You can call the way you call it, but the Nevada State Athletic Commission is not supposed to come in 30 minutes before an effing fight and come and kick everybody out and come and talk that type of shit to a fighter and get in their head. Then on top of it, the last time Diego was a sportsman, he was a wrestler. So the first thing he comes out and does is go and take this guy's leg. He never throws a punch, so you tell me. How come my fighter that's been training for 10 weeks to strike didn't throw a strike? My, my, my big grievance about this is no pushback. The first question is, should have been, are you accusing Nevada State Athletic Commission of making him throw a fight? And then from there, you know, you go into that, how that accusation is very dangerous. So... Uh, I would stress, you know, we don't need this guy in the MMA world at all. But if if you you feel that you have to interview him and you have to speak to him, at least question him when he makes statements like this and push back. He says these recordings exist. Have them have him show you. Listen to him with him. If he's not going to let you, you know, get a hold of him, at least have him let him, you know, play them for you. Ask him if he had consent from the State Athletic Commission to record them. There's a lot of things wrong with, with what Fabia did. And I'm just focusing here on the commission because the the Sanchez stuff has been covered well. And, and I don't want to go over it because it, it's just nastiness and, and I don't like it. Uh, but, yeah, if you feel like you have to talk to him, push back at least, please. Um, you don't have to be... All the, all the ground that's needed to be covered on a straight Q&A kind of thing with him has been covered. Now it's time to uh, put the screws to him in, in an interview and, and really press him. If you're not going to do that, just kind of let him fade away because he needs to be forgotten and, and taken, you know, and his the memory of him needs to be removed from the uh, MMA community as unless it's used as a cautionary tale. But... Yeah, I just wanted to m make sure I said that because that's how I feel about it. And the less Joshua, F Joshua Fabia we have in MMA and the less people like him, the better off everyone's going to be. So hopefully Sanchez can recover from this. I, I don't know if he will be able to do so with being out of the UFC now. But just a bad time, bad time for uh, Diego Sanchez and the sport. And on that note, I'm going to call it a day. And until next time, everyone stay safe.